It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP podcast time. What's up, Talk LP podcast fans? It's Amber joining you again for another action-packed podcast. Today, we welcome Steve Walker, director of Major Crimes for Walgreens. And I got to be honest with you, Steve, that title is pretty sexy. So you got to tell our audience, what does that entail, being the director of Major Crimes for Walgreens? Well, first, thanks um, for, for having me on. Um, I listen to all your podcasts. They're great. <laughs> I like the fact that they're free-flowing and um, really lively. So you're doing, doing a great job. So. Oh, thank you. I didn't pay him for that either. That was off the cuff. <laughs> so, um, director of major crimes is really kind of derived from our senior leadership and um, my uh, VP Todd Lyle. Um, it, ORC um, directors of other departments—that's typically what they do. Um, our team is a is a little bit different in the fact that um, we try and. Uh, investigate all major threats uh, to the business as a whole, right? So um, we have uh, a team of 185 APMs in the field and um, our senior leadership just over the uh, last you know, 16, 18 months uh, figured out that we needed a more dedicated force to do that. Obviously, ORC and retail crime falls into that. But really what we're trying to do is be a force multiplier and actually um, nine people on my team I really have 185 APMs that we're really trying to uh, to support in the field. Uh, and the major crimes piece is just that. Um, our senior leadership and, and our company is focused on the safety and security of our customers and team members. And a lot of that falls into, um, we have issues of going in stores. You've heard of them, all your podcasts. I've listened to them. Um, our, a big part of what we need to do, uh, the APMs can be in the field, but sometimes the bandwidth is just, we need to do a follow-up with detectives, right? So there's some extra legwork that goes on with that. And then we do, we are in the OIC world, right? We, we conduct those sorts of investigations. We look at fraud, e-commerce. Um, we have a great support group uh, at, the, uh, at the support center uh, with analysts that, that do um, e-commerce as well. And um, so it's, it's all encompassing. Really, any threat to the business, we're trying to see if we can interdict that and mitigate, um, mitigate any losses and maintain that safety in the store. So that's, that's really kind of what's behind that name. Man, it's really uh, in-depth. That's awesome. That's like, uh, it's incredible when you think about the number of people uh, that a company like Walgreens has to have when you're talking about investigating crimes and, and, and understanding kind of what's going on for the business. So give us some examples, right? I mean, let me set it up a little bit. So ORC has definitely grabbed some major headlines as of late, right? You've got Ben Dugan in the Wall Street Journal, which has then, you know, kind of catapulted all these other articles and, and, and national media attention you know, on ORC now that it just seems to be getting worse and worse. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm assuming that clearly falls in your purview of trying to help figure out for Walgreens as an organization, like how, what are you seeing? And like, from a strategy perspective, is there anything you guys are saying, look, we've got to now start doing these things because this is increasing so exponentially. So I, I think... First off, the team, right? We, we changed um, the, the focus is hopefully we're going to be more 
preemptive. And um, with, you know, you and I had a chat before we started recording about technology. And, and I think what we need to do is make sure that we're, we're utilizing those platforms and through AI and other things where um, we can have uh, problems pushed to us versus us having to data mine everything, right? So with the event uh, of cyber, um, we have more threats to the business in a way that um, we haven't in the past. And we have a we have a security um, internet security team at the at the support center. Uh, we are a global company, so we're doing that. That all happens in the background. But what we're seeing is there are more and more ways that um, our our company defenses can be um, interdicted or bypassed um, through that means. Right. So we have to look at that. Plus, we're just seeing a, a, in the field in the normal um, what you would call the day-to-day brick and mortar, um, we're seeing just a, just a, a much more aggressive, assertive uh, type of, of, of criminal that comes into our stores. And thus we have to, um, we have to make sure that we build out policies and make sure that we can execute on those um, to protect our team members, right? So we had to lean in and on, on the typical strategy. Because if you, if you go back 23 years when I went to work for Walgreens, straight out of law enforcement, how we inter- interacted with um, shoplifters or or potential um, theft issues or violent crime in our stores is a lot different than we do it now, right? Um, at the end of the day, the most important asset that Walgreens has is our team member and patients, right? So we have to balance um, that along with how do we protect the assets, the physical assets and products in our stores. So it's a balancing act. So Steve, you talked about being former law enforcement. And I think that, you know, you just you just brought up the angle that the way you used to respond to some of these grab and run type of things um, as a company has changed, definitely evolving. And it's a unique um, perspective because you are former law enforcement. So when you think about all that's happened, right, with the increase in violent occurrences, right, um, the increase in grab and runs, we're all seeing those videos on LinkedIn that are, and even the national news that are insane, right? Um, from a law enforcement and now retail executive like perspective, um, what are what do you think makes a difference in law enforcement being talk about overwhelmed, understaffed, retiring at a clip, right? Which you know I don't blame them with everything that's going on, right? So. So I guess it's interesting with your perspective of being former law enforcement and now on the retail executive side, like, what do you think is going to happen, right? I mean, and, and how, how has the response that you have to take with your teams at the store different? Because now, you know, we hear all the time, okay, police are not responding, right? I mean, you can't call them for certain, and it has to do with the felony threshold levels and all these things that, you know, they're not responding. So I guess my question is really, how has it evolved? Because you have a unique perspective with both. And then what do you think is next? Like, what should retailers be preparing for? It's, it's, it's funny you should ask this. When I was, I was talking to Roxanne Flanagan, our, our group vice president, when we were, um, when we were um, discussing the team as a whole, right? And I said, imagine a world where you call the police and they don't respond. I, I, that's not unrealistic. And um, the one thing that, um, that I try and do is, is, is let's live in the, the, the reality of, of where we're at, right? So it, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's kind of a perfect storm. 
Um, we had, um, you know, the, the, the ter terrible, terrible civil unrest. We went through uh, that. We went through the, the struggles that they're currently um, trying to work through legislatively on police reform and how police uh, police officers interact with um, with citizens, right? So as someone that um, has had to force someone to comply, at the end of the day, it's about compliance, right? Um, and when I was, when I was in uh, law enforcement, it, it was, you know, 25 years ago and it was a different way to police. And now, um, you're having to do that, um, with a, another level of scrutiny and that scrutiny should have always been there, right? There, there, there's bad cops, just like there's, there, there are bad bankers and bad lawyers. And, you know, so what we have to do is how do we do that? But I think it's through education. You have to be able to see through the eyes of someone that, you know, and you hear all the cliches, right? They run toward the bullets and, and those sort of things. 90% um, of police work is sheer boredom and then 10% of sheer terror. Um, but what, what we have to do is try and see it through their eyes. And how do we train our, our, our children? Uh, how do we train our loved ones to interact with law enforcement and train them to simply comply? And then we have to train law enforcement on how to deal with, with, with people that, do not comply. You know, back when I was a police officer, there was no such thing as a taser. I mean, there, there weren't any of the, th the less lethal that you have now. We had mace. That was about it. Right. So I think we have to educate the community. And um, you can go on YouTube and see any number of videos where you've had people that were just um, anti-police. Right. And they went on a ride along and saw really what it's like to go out and try and, and, and do this job, right? So what we have to do as a community is to better understand um, what the job is and then not, not tolerate abuses by police, call those out. Um, police officers in the moment have got to call out their peers, which is very difficult, but it, we still are in a, in, a, in a place where it's just a, it's a perfect storm. And then it comes down to dollars, right? So. I used to interact with a ton of sheriffs when I was in the state police. And for the people that don't know, so when someone gets arrested and they can't make bond, they have to be held in the county jail. And the county jail then has to, um, they have to feed them, house them, clothe them, any kind of medical needs they have. And a lot of these counties and a lot of these places are not well-funded. And the other side of that sword is they're, they're overpopulated because the courts are not adjudicating them quickly enough. And then they get sued by the federal government because they have over overcrowding in their jails. So it's not as simple as, well, they lowered the threshold and there's no bond, right? Well, it's even if they had bond, we still had these struggles, right? So you have to balance um, that. And then we have just, I think, the coarsening of our society where we simply, things that we would not have tolerated or um, looked the other way, we now look the other way on things, um, wouldn't have happened in, in the past. And I'm not trying to look backward. I want to look forward. But you have to know what's happened in the past so that you don't repeat it. And I, I really think it's a more complicated issue than people make it out to be. It's not it's not as black and white. We live a lot in or most of our lives in the gray. And it's it's I really believe it's education. I was having a call with our government relations team not long ago, and they asked me a similar question. What's the most important thing we can do? That's we can be educators. That's that's what we're going to we're going to be educators. Um, and we have to educate people about the problems that are that are occurring in our society. How do we deal with the homeless population? How do we deal with mental illness? All those things that are upstream. I'm not a legislator, 
don't don't pretend to be, don't want to be. But at some point, those are the things that's that's where it happens, right? We have to make those kinds of cultural changes. Um, and it sounds daunting, um, and, and and it can be. But if we, if we don't try, it's going to remain the same. So I, I think we have all have a lot to do. But it, I really believe it starts with education. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you think about you know, the physical side of major crimes and what you're dealing with, with the ORC and the grab and runs, things like that. How much of, and I don't know if this is in your purview, but how much of uh, your daily life is shifting from like the physical major crimes to the cyber part, right? I mean, whether it's dealing with Amazon or some of these other uh, electronic e-commerce type of uh, marketplaces. I mean, what, what are you seeing or your colleagues seeing um, on, on that shift? Is it just adding more to your plate? I was, I was just having a conversation with one of my peers earlier this morning about uh, the e-commerce side of this. Um, what we're seeing is, is when we try and do things that make the customer, their customer experience is better, right? So if we come in and we use some, you know, Apple Pay or any of those, any of those things, um, when you try and do that, um, you initially roll it out, there are gaps and you have to learn from those and close them quickly, right? So you have that to deal with. But if you go and look at the brick and mortar piece and if you go to online sales or online sellers or third-party sellers, uh, unless, you're, unless they're hijacking trucks, most of, the, of that, those items that are, stole, that, are, that are stolen, that are sold on, on these um, online marketplaces, uh, come out of a brick and mortar store. So you have both. Um, what you deal with more often than not on the cyber side, um, there, there's typically no violence involved. Um, it's, it's, sometimes it's even hidden. You don't, you don't even realize you have an issue until it's compounded itself to the point where um, you have some analysts at, at the support center that says, I'm seeing these chargebacks on these credit cards. How are they getting in our systems? And that's just one example, right? It's it, it's it's any time that we're dealing with um, money that's not there, right? So we're basically trading electronic money, and we've never done it before. Now we have a ton of smart people that are trying to roll these things out in in all different businesses, whether it be you know in the, in the in the retail drug business or in grocery or whatever. We're trying to make that shopping experience better. Um, less lines, those sorts of things. Well, you have another segment of society that spends a ton of their time and they're very smart and they're trying to look at, um, look at these weaknesses and these gaps uh, in our security and they, and they fill that vacuum very quickly. So it, I think it's, it's 50-50. Um, my group is really more, um, we have a great analyst team. We have a great group of people that really look at these things on a day-to-day basis. And what my team tries to do is go out into the field and do what investigative steps can be done um, you know, just, just the legwork of being a, a good investigator and then um, have their support um, in, in a support center as well. And that's really where we spend our time is uh, I think, I really believe it's, it's probably 50, 50 at this point. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because I think a couple of years ago, it kind of wasn't on the map, right? I mean, Amazon and all the rest of them, it just exploded onto the e-commerce side and then COVID completely you know, ramp that up on, on hyperdrive with everybody needing stuff and not going anywhere to get it. But man, um, let's talk a little bit about 
you know, your, your career and going from law enforcement into retail and then kind of making your way through the ranks at Walgreens. Um, what, what, what do you think attributed to that meaning your career ascension to kind of the, the director there and, and talking a little bit about professional development and a lot of our listeners, right? I mean, it could be managers and regionals and, and other folks that really want to get to the director VP level, you know, kind of looking at their career path. Um, and clearly in your role now, it was very beneficial for you to have a law enforcement background going into uh, the, the major crimes division. But, you know, just you, what are your thoughts and um, advice, really, when you think about those folks, you know, just listening and, and thinking about their careers and, and what they should do, even in this time of, you know, kind of craziness heading back into hopefully a, a tiny bit of normalcy, you know, what are, what are some things that you did along the way that you said, hey, this, this was really helpful for me? So my career spans, it's going up you know, on, on 24 years. Um, when I came in, um, I, know, I don't think Walgreens is unique. Um, they were hiring people that had a background investigations, right? Um, I spent, you know, 17 years in law enforcement, the bulk of that um, with the Arkansas State Police. Um, but be- before that, I, I, you know, I did all types of investigations at a, at a smaller uh, department. Um, I was a detective sergeant. I went into the state police. We did drug interdiction. We did, you know, um, all, all sorts of investigations, even, even if you're investigating an accident, right? It's still an investigation. The who, what, when, where, how, and why, right? And then um, as I got to a point in my career where I thought I could make a change, Walgreens, that's the type of people they were looking for, right? They were looking for that person that could go in um, and do any kind of investigation. It didn't matter where it was. And so I got hired on, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, the biggest hurdle for me was going from knowing everything to knowing nothing. So it was a cultural change. Um, yeah. I, I, I called my boss at the time, who was Doug Lemons. I called him probably twice a week and tried to quit because I didn't think that I was, I was being successful, right? And um, I, um, you had to learn a business. You had to be a businessman. I was used to going places, and, and even if I didn't know exactly what to do, I generally knew what to do in law enforcement until I could figure it out, right? And now I went into situations and law enforcement being paramilitary, I was used to people executing. And I just couldn't figure out why things took so, why does it take so long to do this? And why do I have to tell people twice? And right, it's, it, then I had to learn how to teach and I had to learn how to train. And I had to, we did those in law enforcement, they were, but it, it was a, in, a, in a different culture, right? So then I had to learn, how do we make money? How do we, you can't protect money if we don't know how we make it. And then we had the systems issue. The first computer I had ever seen that I had actually touched was given to me by Walgreens. I got hired. I was given a car, the manual and some, and some training and, and a mentor and a laptop. I, I, I'm honest with you. I, I'd never seen a computer before. And so that's where I started. Um, and then I think you saw this as, as I got into this and, and you start to learn not only the front end, we had a pharmacy, we had tons of, we had all sorts of regulations and we deal with the DEA and boards of pharmacy and I had to learn all those things. So uh, that's a long way to get to, you need to try and do some research when you come into the business. Are you going to be, uh, is your job going to be holistic? Is it going to be um 
Are, is, is it going to be more specific? Are you going to do one simple thing and not have to know a, um, the overarching business as a whole? You need to know that going in. And um, I, would, I would just recommend to people make, when you go into the business and whether you come out of law enforcement or not, you need to know um, the job that you think that you want to do. Surround yourself with people that are willing to teach you and, and listen. And, the, and where we went in, in Walgreens is the biggest hurdle we had was law enforcement was learning the business. So then we swung our pendulum and said, hey, let's bring some operational people. Let's bring some people in and have some masters. Let's bring people in that maybe they, they haven't done a ton of, they don't have police experience, but they know the business, right? And we'll teach them interviewing and, and those things. So we did that for a while. And that was, that was useful because when I came in, uh, the biggest bulk for my my mentors was to try and get me to learn the business, not, not the investigative side. And now I think we've leveled out as an industry. We've, we've tried to surround ourselves with diverse thought. And I, what I mean by diverse thought, I mean, we need to, if you don't have someone in your meeting fairly regularly that doesn't know your business, you should, because they're not afraid to say, well, why do you do those things? Because they, they have no, um, they're not going to get their feelings hurt. No one's going to think they're dumb because they're not supposed to know. And if you put those people in the room with you, they make you answer those questions that you think are, you know, the answer to until they go, well, why do you do it that way? And then you have to think about, well, why do we really do that? Why do we continue to do those things? So I think you have to surround yourself with diverse thought and diverse thought is sometimes people that don't know anything about what you do to make you think about how do you do it better? Yeah. So those are all some great points. A couple of things I heard in there was too, you know, when you, got handed those things to for your first role, right? I can tell you're probably not the person that's going to wait for someone to take you by the hand and spoon feed you things, right? So so coming out of what you said there too, I've heard I, there was lots of things. One was don't don't wait to have someone hold your hand. Like if you don't know something, even down to the depths of the business, you don't even have maybe your mentor going, by the way, you really should learn how we actually make money, right? Because like you have to be thinking constantly, what, should, what could I be learning, right? To help my career path, right? Because, you know, I think we've all come in contact with those folks that have said, I, it's just not happening for me, right? I'm not getting promoted. I'm not getting those special assignments. And then you have to look internally to say, am I waiting to be spoon fed, you know, these things, or am I taking the initiative? to go grab the extra knowledge, right? I mean, I'm sure you've seen that throughout your career and also people that you've probably mentored as well. I think you hit the nail on the head, but I think a big part of it is understanding what you don't know and going out and finding that knowledge, right? And the way you do that is you, you're you not afraid to ask people. You have to find people you trust. And there again, surround yourself with people that are willing to give you feedback, honest feedback. And um, my biggest issue was, um, you know, we used to profit and loss statements were a big part of what we used to do. And coming out of my field, I, I'd never seen one. So I had to find people that were good at it and I had to spend time and I had to, I had to ingratiate myself with those that could teach me and listen, right? And be okay with the fact that you're not going to be an expert overnight. And um, the other thing is be willing to raise your hand to do things that you're uncomfortable with. Um, our, our VP now, Todd Lyles, uh, told me once, you need, to, you need to be in that place where you're, you, you constantly have butterflies in your stomach. That means that you're out on that, you're just about to get over your skis, but you, you're able to con- 
control it, right? And that, that was some great advice right there is if you're not putting yourself in a place where you're, where you feel a little uncomfortable, or maybe I'm not um, the smartest person in the room, or I'm not doing the job uh, as well as others, that's, that's where you need to be. That's where you're going to learn. And I think leaders see the fact that pe- people that are willing to put themselves in a position where they could fail, um, that's the people you want on your team, because at some point you're going to fail. And I, I told my son just the other day, I said, I have had tons of successes in my life, but I guarantee you, I can, I can name you the four or five things that I just augured in on <laughs> and I can give you the dates and times and what I learned from it. So um, I know it sounds like an adage, but it really is. You learn, you think way more about things you fail about than you went about. Well, it's interesting. Like if you're sitting there listening to this and you can't think of anything that you really screwed up, maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough out in, outside your comfort zone. Exactly. Yeah. And as leaders, and as leaders, a big thing that we need to be able to do is is lay out lay out the mission. It's just you know, FY twenty two. Here's our plan. Here's our here's our pillars. Here are the things that we need to we need to execute on. Give your team the tools that they need, and let them go and know that they're going to fail. Yeah, and you have to create the culture to where it's okay. Right. That no one's freaking out because they think they're just going to get canned. So uh, one of the best things that I was ever told about leadership was take none of the credit and all of the blame. And it's a privilege to lead people. Um, and if you do that, that's the culture you need. And I try every day with my team and I, I don't succeed every day, but I, I, I try even with constructive feedback to elevate them. Even if it's a failure, you need to be trying to elevate your team all the time. So if they have a failure, you talk about the failure, you know, you just, whether it takes the hide off both knees, right? You have to talk about the failure, but you got to talk about the things they did right. And the fact that they went out there and they competed, they went out and they, 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 they made a decision. And from my ability to sit back and I wasn't there, it's easy for me to poke holes in it. So I have to listen to why they thought they made the decision and then elevate them enough to where they're willing to go out and risk it again. And most everyone typically does not make the same mistake twice. And they may make other mistakes and they're probably going to if they're out there doing their job like you're talking about. But we have to build that culture and we have to be okay with going to going to your boss and going, hey, look, I know it didn't turn out the way we wanted. I completely own that. That was me. I put them in that position. Clearly, I didn't give them enough guidance or enough. You just have to take take responsibility and own it. And, and um, I think that's, that's gotten me a long way in my career is just own your failures and tell people the truth. And, and um, most people will give you another chance. Well, you think about it too, as a leader, that's one of the things that builds trust within your team, right? Is that they know you're not going to go sell them up, sell them out up the river, you know, when something didn't work out. Right. I mean, I think that, and that's one of the biggest things, you know, Brene Brown talks about being in the arena, right. And, and being okay with that and that people are going to jeer and sneer at you, but screw them. You're the one that's in the arena doing it. And um, yeah, that, that echoes a lot from what you said for me, because it's like, you know, you're building trust when you're, when you're taking their arm, if something didn't go well, other than just completely berating them, but okay. So let's talk about um, if you could go back in your career and just stick it to retail, right? When you're early in retail, is there some advice you would give your 
younger retail self, right? That you would say, okay, if I had to do anything differently, you know, um, what would it be like broad scale, like broad stroke wise, right? If you could give your, your 25 year old self some advice, uh, what would it be? Don't, don't take it personal. Oh, that's a good one. That's hard. What, what I mean by that is, and I told you a little bit before, when you, when you come from a place in your, in your life and career where you felt like that you had some modicum of success and knowledge and competency to a place that you don't, and, um, and you begin to see yourself struggle to be successful, and you ask people for help and, they, and, and for feedback, and they give it to you, you cannot take that as a personal affront to your character or to your, what they're trying to do, right? Yeah. And you don't, that's another trust piece, right? You contract people for feedback, but you, they're not ever going to come to you again if they see your face turn to, you know, this person's about to lose it. They're upset with me that I told them this, right? Yeah. So um, as a younger person, I, I don't think I ever liked to fail. I was very competitive and um, I wanted to be successful. I was driven um, and I, you just can't take it personal. People, people are the people you surround yourselves with want you to be successful, but you've got to be willing to listen to what they have to tell you because you've already told them by coming to them that you don't know what to do. And when they tell you what you did wrong, you can't go, Oh no, wait a minute. I didn't do wait. Now that you just described me like to a T <laughs> because it's so hard when you're, I mean, look, if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're probably like us, like your type A drivers, you want to get things done. You think that you're doing it perfectly. And I'll be the first one because I'm at, to ask for feedback and then know, know in my head that the feedback I'm going to get is going to be just amazing. It's going to be like, you're the best podcast host on the planet. Right. And then you're like, when it's not that I get, I, you know, the, my younger self, now that I'm older, more mature, you get pissed off. You're like, wait a minute. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. So that is hard what you're describing, um, but is so critical to development and maturity in your career for sure. Because honestly, I agree with you. You can't take it. My, my addition would be you can't take it personal if it's bad, right? If the feedback is, is bad, but I also got to the place where if you're doing really well and you're being a rock star, don't take it personal either, right? Because if your head starts to get this, and I did this early in my career where I'm like, man, I am the bomb at this. And then somehow karma or otherwise that ego just sweeps you off your feet and you are low, you know, like before you even know it. So I would add that to, you know, even if you're doing, if you're being a rock star and you're, you said it perfectly, like you're always elevating your team. That takes a lot of humility instead of going, yeah, that's what I told them to do. That's because I rule. Well, I, I, um, I can assure you, everybody on my team is smarter than I am. And I, that's by design because, you know, all, all God gave me was common sense and logic. And sometimes in the world of technology, that does not, that does not get you where you need to go. So um, I, I really do. I, I, I try and lead from the middle, surround yourself with good people, um, care about them, take care of them, put them in a position to succeed. And when they succeed, 
uh, let them go. Let them go. You know, I, uh, um, at some point you may end up working for them. Be prepared for that. So, treat <laughs> well, that's a good leader, right? I mean, it's really interesting, Steve, because there's not many, and I, as you know, uh, interview a lot of executives on this podcast, and there's not one of them that is successful like you and and others that said, you know what, I'm successful because I am the bomb, and I did all of this myself, and it's like, like it's very interesting that they're not going to get there with that attitude, right? Because proof is in the pudding. There hasn't been one C-level or executive person that I have interviewed on this podcast that has said, I got there because I'm the, I'm awesome. That's it. I am incredible. They're all like you that say, you know what? No, it's a team approach. There's humility in it. And, and, and that in itself broadly, I think is a huge lesson. It absolutely is. And, and I think people are willing to, um, they're willing to give you the ability to, to, to make mistakes. And, and it, if you truly come at them from a place of, of honesty and integrity and, and, and positivity, right? If I go out and make a decision that impacts you negatively and I was doing the, and I doing the devil level best that I could um, because I thought it was the right thing to do and it was a mistake, um, most people are, are, willing to, are willing to give you a second chance and understand why you did it. Yeah. Um, but if you're the person that no one wants to be around because your head's too big and you're full of yourself, um, a lot of people stand on the sideline and watch you fail and then clap. About yeah. It. yeah. Or someone comes to you and says, well, what did this happen? And be like, me, that was me. That was him. Yeah. Or it's like, I, yeah, I mean, these are all lessons, you know, you got to learn. Well, uh, but you have to, as you get older, um, as I've matured, it's a lot easier to um, let things go that you wouldn't let go before. Um, see things through a totally different uh, prism that you did before. Um, um, you've had enough life experience to see that um, it's not always your way. And you're not always right. Um, and that, I guess the old adage that uh, that youth is wasted on the young. It, it's getting it's getting way more it more uh, uh, relevant to me in my life. But no, I'm with you. It's really just about how you treat people. It, it, that's all it comes down to is, is how you treat people. You're right. Okay, let's wrap, let's almost wrap this up. I got another question, um, which I, I love this one. And I know I sent it to you like two seconds ago. So uh, <laughs> that's, why, that's how we are here, unscripted side of LP. Um, worst career, career advice you ever received. I like turning it on its head. A technique I cannot claim. I got it from Jay Shetty. Who, if you haven't looked up Jay Shetty, he has an incredible podcast called On Purpose. Um, and so he leaves, he asks his guests these last five questions. And this was one of them was what the, what is the worst advice, worst, and I'm, we're turning it to career advice that you ever received. If you leave the state police, you will fail miserably. Now look at you. Yeah, I've, uh, I won't go, I won't tell you who said that, but. <laughs> no, please. We'll tag them on social media. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I think a lot of people, when you leave, law enforcement is, it's, it's almost, uh, I call it, you have to be called to it like you are in the clergy, right? I mean, it takes, I saw a lot of people oh, in yeah. um, well-prepared, well-educated, and did not, did not flourish there because it takes a, you know, a special person. Not that we're elite, but it takes a different kind of person to do that job. Right. Yeah. And no doubt. Try so hard to get there. 
right? Get, you know, you want to try and be at that elite spot. So I always knew that the, that the state police is where I wanted to be because I felt like that that's where, you know, that's where the, the elite people uh, went to work and that's where the best you know, training was and all those sorts of things, right? So you get there and something changes. Um, ours was senior leadership at the time and it just wasn't, you know, and, and in law enforcement, if you get up every morning and not ready to go to work, it's time to get out because you're going to get hurt. You're going to get somebody else hurt. And so when I left, there were so many people that left and then begged to come back. And the advice I got was from people that made, that gave me that advice were people that were afraid to leave. They, they saw the same things I did, but just were not prepared to step out. And it's not that I did some great daring thing by leaving. I just knew it was the right thing to do for me uh, because I wasn't in the right place in my, in my head. But um, that was, that was the advice. And um, it, thank goodness it, uh, it worked out the other way. So I've, I've had a lot of people that's elevated me in my career with Walgreens that have taken care, have spent extra time with me, um, it, you know, just too many to even name uh, that have lifted me up when I needed to be lifted up, made sure that my, my mistakes were uh, diminished as much as they could. And I learned from them. Um, really, a, really a nurturing group. And um, I was very, very blessed to, to have been able to interact with them. I really was. Well, it's interesting that that advice is anti to what you're saying at the beginning, right? Is, is stepping outside of your comfort zone. I mean, talk about stepping outside of your comfort zone. I mean, that that's a big transition. But um, for all those law enforcement folks listening, you can do it. There's examples right here. You do have to go to a supportive company like Walgreens, right? I mean, they clearly were super supportive of you and, and trying to get, okay, last question. I always like to, to wrap it up with advice for solution providers, because I know you probably just like all other loss prevention folks and, and executives out there get hit up pretty big for the solution providers out there and good for them. That's what they do. Subject matter experts trying to help you guys out. But what, what is a quick advice that you could just give solution providers listening to say, Hey, look, if you want to pitch me or pitch Walgreens or what is it in, in a couple sentences that you, that would help them out? There's very rarely a silver bullet. Um, and you need to have multiple solutions. Um, if you can do, um, 80, 20, right? If I can solve your problem 80% of the time and 20%, it's not going to solve your problem. I think most businesses will listen to you, but you need to have multiple solutions or be very transparent up front and say, there's a subset of your problems that I cannot help you with. But these, these things and be able to extrapolate what the cost of, well, this is how much I can save you. Have some examples of other retailers that are, or other people that you've helped solve and be transparent, have multiple solutions, and um, be upfront with the price point. Don't bring your bottom dollar. This is what gets you through the door. Yeah, no hidden um, fees. Like if you like the floor mats aren't included. Come come <laughs> with come with the bells and whistles, right? Come with if you get it all, this is what it is, and then be able to step away from it and say, you know what? I truly believe you don't need to pay me an extra whatever for this because it doesn't, it very rarely happens in your business. And um, I think you're, you're very, you've got your pulse on this industry quite a bit. You talk to a ton of leaders, right? And I think if, if, and if, if solution providers knew this, the word of mouth of talking about them 
two other ones. Hey, if you need this, go call this guy because he was straight up with me. Yeah. And provided with me. We do need, we do, at the end of the day, provide more than one solution because very rarely does one size fit all. Yeah. If you, uh, so unless it's a very narrow solve you're looking for, if you're coming to us holistically, then I would have a couple of different solutions in my pocket. That would be my advice. Yeah. So don't walk in there saying this one thing is going to cure it because they will automatically know that that is not true. Okay, Steve, this has been fun. I really appreciate you stepping into the Talk LP podcast, Hot Seat. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, go ahead. Please thank me. <laughs> don't look for me to save you. Uh, <laughs> No, thank thank you for thank you for having me. It's it's been a pleasure. I hope to come back again and hope to see you soon. Maybe uh, next year I'll make it to Apex. And yeah. Um, but thanks again. And if, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out. Yeah, you know there will. I'll always be bothering you, Steve. That's what I do. I just I call around and get favors from you guys because you're so cool. We really appreciate you stepping in. Hopefully, you listeners out there enjoyed it. It was fun today. Um, Always hit us up at Let's Talk LP on Twitter. Follow us on our LinkedIn group. And you can always, of course, download the Talk LP news app for loss prevention, breaking headlines in the palm of your hands. We got a gigs tab on that. We got solution providers. We got all kinds of stuff. This podcast will be there. Make sure you download the app. Again, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next time. See ya. Like we do it.